Verse 13, Paul says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And Father, we just ask for the help now of your Holy Spirit as we continue in our time of worship together to understand, Lord, every intent and purpose behind why your spirit gave to us these very statements we find upon the page this morning and that you would breathe fresh life upon even this verse, Lord, the truth of it to help us and safeguard us from the destructive effects of sin in our own lives as your people. So, Lord, speak to us now by your spirit's ministry and we ask you would do such in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, is it fake news, or is it possible that we are actually able to overcome the temptation to sin? I think sometimes as God's people, and though we should know the truth, we can even begin to believe the misguiding news that it's not possible to overcome the temptation to sin. And as a result of that, I think at times we find ourselves maybe continuing to struggle or give in to areas of sin in our lives because we simply don't believe what God says about it. Remember, we have to recognize God knows all. We don't. The world doesn't. And the Bible even tells us that God not just won't lie. It says that God cannot lie. That is, he doesn't even have the capacity to lie. And God gives to us here in verse 13, as well as the entirety of the New Testament, the truth and the facts regarding this very subject to, I believe, dispel the lie. And as we dive into this text, we find a few short statements that give us very, very important instruction about something that I think should be a pretty important topic in our lives. Now, as we look at verse 13 together, let me begin by just kind of defining a few terms. Uh, The first one being this, temptation. And temptation is basically experiencing, we might say, that strong persuasion by something that kind of awakens a desire within us to want to do something that's either unwise, unhealthy, or simply wrong. That's really kind of what temptation is. It's experiencing that pressure, that persuasion, that awakens an internal desire within me, within you, to then want to do something unwise, unhealthy, or wrong. The word resist, which I think is important as well, the word resist means to succeed in withstanding attraction that makes us desire to indulge something. So the idea is the temptation comes, resist is that ability to withstand that attraction, or we might say to withstand some pressure trying to get us to submit to its influence over us. And our verse this morning deals with resisting temptation, overcoming in that battle to avoid sin. I think Genesis chapter 4, very early in the Bible, gives a very fitting illustration of this. It's that story of Cain and Abel. And if you remember there, very early on in the creation account, right after the fall of mankind and sin then enters into humanity in Genesis chapter 3, and we're told there that Cain in his pride becomes angry that he has to keep God's prescribed ways 
rather than having things his own way according to his own human reason. And as Cain is struggling with this and the righteous example of his brother, remember, right before he's about to murder his brother, he's wrestling with the temptation in his anger and selfishness to carry out that temptation and to put to death his brother. And God, seeing that struggle in his heart with temptation, God intervenes to warn him to protect him as he's facing temptation. And this is what God says to him. He says, Cain, sin lies at the door. The idea is it's, it's knocking. It's knocking on your door, wanting you to open up. And he says, its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Cain, sin wants to rule over you, but you need to learn how to rule over it. Well, that's really what verse 13 is talking to us about this morning. Remember the background to this section, Paul's been warning about the danger of spiritual failure. That was very evident in our first 12 verses about falling into sin in our spiritual walk. And he even made it evident to us that despite all God's supplies to us, all God's blessings and the benefits that we have spiritually, that we as people are all, all of us still prone to sin. We all still have the same capacity to fail despite everything God's given to us to succeed. In fact, remember verse 12, as we left off the last thing he said in caution, he said, verse 12, therefore let him who thinks he stands, take heed, take guard, pay attention, lest he fall. So he warns us there to beware of being overconfident spiritually, where we're not staying on guard against the weakness of our own humanity to fail in sin like any other person on this earth can, and we kind of let our guard down or we don't pay attention to our walk, and then we end up tripping and falling spiritually. Well, verse 13 now gives to us the encouragement to show to us that though we have the capacity to sin, that we don't have to fall prey and stumble and end up making those mistakes. We don't have to be defeated by sin's power and pressure when it entices us to do what's wrong. And here he wants to encourage us regarding that. So he therefore says in verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you, he says, except such as common to all. But God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with that temptation, he says, will make the way of escape so that you personally may be able to bear up under it. So he begins with identifying the subject of temptation. He says there in verse 13, no temptation, he says, has come against you except such as common to all men. Now, again, I know I mentioned it earlier, but what is temptation? Well, the original word that's used there in the text can actually refer to severe testing while undergoing a difficulty, the idea is that you're undergoing a strong, severe test where you're being pushed to your limit, or the same term is also used at times to describe, we might say, the persuasive sales pitch or the solicitation to engage in evil or to participate in wrongdoing. And it's the context of the uh, thing that's being discussed that always determines how that word is to be used. Well, it's very evident, having just studied verses 1 through 12, the context of this section here is clearly addressing avoidance of sinful behavior among God's people. 
That's what verses 1 through 12 were all about. Learning from the spiritual errors, remember, of God's first congregation of people, the children of Israel, who failed in sin and suffered great consequence, pain and loss as a result of that. So again, our term here, temptation, is describing predominantly that inward solicitation to embrace an opportunity to do what's wrong. It's the thing that we all battle with, that pressure, persuasion that invites me to act in a wrong way to satisfy some craving in my life, to fulfill some desire to do what is wrong or evil. And sometimes temptation is even the desire to satisfy a God-given desire in a God-forbidden way. Sometimes that's how temptation comes. A natural God-given desire, let's say, for example, very obvious, the sexual desire. That's a natural God-given desire intended for marriage, but the, the desire for such can, can be satisfied in a God-forbidden way. It's a natural God-given desire, but we can be tempted to satisfy in a God-forbidden way. And sometimes temptation comes that way. It tries to distort something that's right by making us do it in a way that's selfish or wrong or outside of God's design. So temptation tests our character oftentimes and the degree of our commitment to the Lord. So it's tempting us and soliciting us to do what's wrong, but it also somewhat is a test because it's testing for me to see really what degree of commitment I really do have to the Lord and wanting to honor him rather than fulfill myself. Well, question, how does temptation present itself to us? I think the answer to that is with this, with sudden force. And I think the text reveals that. How does temptation present itself? With sudden force. Because again, notice what he's saying in verse 13 there. He says, no temptation has, he uses the term, overtaken you. Other translations render that has laid hold of you. The idea is grabbed you or seized you. And again, the term there, overtaken in the original Greek language that was being translated to our English here was actually a military term that described how you would be attacked by an enemy or taken over in military conflict by a violent action. The idea is your base is ambushed. You're just kind of seized and overtaken, forcefully grasped. They try and overtake you and bring you under enemy control. That's the term that Paul uses here. And that's kind of how temptation comes upon our lives. Isn't it kind of like a spiritual attack with sudden force? All of a sudden, it just kind of aggressively tries to overtake your will and bring you into subjection to what it wants. It wants to take control of you. It wants to dominate me and rule over us and to get us to submit to its demands. And it comes kind of forcefully and aggressively. And it says, look, this is what I want. This is what I want you to do. And it kind of just attacks us and doesn't really want to give us the opportunity to resist following its demands or fight against it, it wants to just bring us into subjection that we would just surrender and yield to it. And that's why temptation is challenging because it kind of abruptly breaks through the wall and invades our life or our fort, if you would, and quickly tries to bring us under control before we even think about fighting it off. And I'm sure you can relate to how fast and how strong at times you find temptation in different forms of sin come rushing into your life. And all of a sudden you find yourself battling, being pressured and persuaded to do what sin is desiring. And it kind of catches you off guard at times, right? And a lot of times it will attack you in a vulnerable time of weakness. 
And this is how temptation comes. It doesn't slowly, gradually work its way in. It just kind of comes rushing in with strong force, like an enemy attack, which makes it very challenging. Now, important to know, right? In military battle, the most important thing you can know is to know a little about your enemy and where's the attack coming from. So where does temptation to sin arise from? Who is, you might say, the source or what is the source of temptation? Well, simply, we could put it in three things for sure. That's the devil, our sinful desires, our sinful nature or our flesh, as we call it, our human nature that's fallen. And as well, the fallen and corrupt world system. J.B. Phillips, a, a commentator, said it this way. I thought it was very fitting. He said, all temptation to sin comes to us from one of three sources. He says, the lies of the devil, that is the sneaky ways and ideas the devil sets before us to deceive us. The lust of the flesh, that is sinful cravings, as we talked about, of our human desire. And the lure of the world, that is the strong pool of the fallen world that's living in rebellion to God. So I think that's a very fitting way. The lies of the devil, the lust of the flesh, and the lure of the world. I mean, the lies of the devil, Matthew chapter 4 as well as 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, literally gives the title to the devil, the tempter. Well, that's very fitting, isn't it? The tempter. Where does temptation come from? It comes from the tempter. And there in Matthew 4, he comes to Jesus as a man, as the tempter, and he greatly tries to tempt Jesus in that great temptation to end up indulging sin. And in a spiritual attack against us, he seeks to do the exact same thing to us in our humanity. Again, all the way back from his first appearance in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, when the devil shows up, he, he reveals his hand. He demonstrates his method of operation. What does the devil do as soon as he shows up in the Garden of Eden with the first set of people on the earth? He's doing what? He's seeking to try and subtly deceive mankind to disregard following God's directives and instead to selfishly fulfill their own desires. And he, right, that's exactly what he does from the beginning. He says, look, you shouldn't follow God's directives. Don't follow God's boundaries or do things God's way. You know, why don't you just do what you want? You know you want to do this, so just do it. Nothing's really going to happen. It won't be that bad. I mean, do you really think? And what's he doing? He's tempting and deceiving mankind to basically disregard God's best, and he's running that playbook of enticement to get them to selfishly satisfy themselves. Well, look, his playbook hasn't changed. He may have a few different ways that he operates it, but it's the same playbook. He's a tempter. He seeks to deceive and mislead us in that way. Temptation also comes as well from the lusts and desires of our flesh. That is our own human nature, which is drawn to do what's wrong. That's another problem that makes us struggle with temptation. James chapter one says that when we're tempted, this does not come from God because God doesn't tempt anyone. But then he goes on to say there, James one, each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and is enticed. That is this magnetic draw within me because I'm a sinful human being from birth. I'm magnetically drawn and inclined towards being tempted to do what's wrong. And that's a natural struggle that every human being wrestles with. Romans chapter 7, Paul even declared as a Christian there, he said, sin produces in me all manner of evil desire. I find in my body there's a law at work persuading me to do evil 
instead of good. And Paul says, even though I know the Lord, I still find it's like there's this law operating within me, creating a war within me that's always persuading me to do evil instead of doing good. Peter, in his writing, another believer, 1 Peter 2, he says there, we must abstain from the fleshly lusts, that is the cravings or desires, that war against our soul. Such picturesque language. Again, these cravings, they war against our soul. It's a battle within, right? Our desires, our mind, and so forth. And we have to abstain. And the word abstain means that there's the presence of a desire to do something, but you resist the presence of that desire. You got to say no to the desire. That's what the word abstain indicates. So we have the devil as a tempter. We have our own flesh creating temptation within, drawing us away. And then, of course, as well, we have the pressures and opportunities presented to us by this ungodly world system. I don't know about you. I don't think it takes a rocket science. It's pretty easy to sin in the world, isn't it? I mean, the world gives us plenty of opportunities to do what's wrong. It's not like you've got to go searching in today's day and age to find an opportunity to do what's evil, to do what's wrong, to do what's inappropriate. The world in its fallen sinful condition is constantly presenting doors of opportunity to engage in wrong behavior. It will always be advertising doing what's wrong and inviting us to participate in what is sinful and destructive. And these three things, look, the world with all of its lures and opportunities and our own sinful flesh that craves what's wrong, and then the tempter, the devil, are always working in conjunction in different ways and patterns, trying to draw us in to seize us with temptation to enter into sin. Now, though temptation is a real challenge that we all face, God doesn't want us, listen, God doesn't want us to make excuses for why we indulge in temptation and enter into sin. And that is why verse 13 exists. He doesn't want us to justify our surrender to temptation. That's why he says here, no temptation has overtaken you. And then he adds in, except such is common to man. That is what we face is common to all mankind. Now, look, the Holy Spirit found it important to tell us that, that when temptation ambushes me, this is something that's common to everybody. I'm not alone in this situation. I don't have the excuse to justify, oh, it's just so hard for me. Nobody knows what this is like. God takes away that reality. One translation renders this. Remember the temptations that come into your life are no different from what others experience. In other words, God wants us to know we're not alone in the battle. We are comrades on the battlefield, which guess what, church? That's why we need one another. That's why we need one another. And that's why it's not good to be isolated and alone like Eve. So the devil in your isolation comes and tempts you 10 times worse. Because in your little bubble of isolation, that's exactly what the devil will do. What did the devil do? He isolated Eve from the only other person on the earth who knew God, Adam. But again, he isolated Eve, and then he worked her, and he conquered her. And ultimately, she then ended up just stumbling her husband as well, and he got a two-for-one in the situation. But what did it begin with? Isolation. So we need one another as comrades. This is why it's essential that we be together as the body of Christ. 
This is a battle, man. We need each other as comrades on the battlefield to keep each other encouraged, marching forward and not retreating and watching each other's blind spots so that we're not getting picked off and dying off on the battlefield because temptation is defeating us. We're all fighting the exact same battle. We're, we're not facing some unique and unfair situation. Now, that's important to remember because lest we feel isolated in our struggle, and that's a very critical thing, as if, as I said, no one else is able to understand or, or no one else is able to help us in resisting the attack. No, no, we're all comrades in this. We're all facing the same struggle with temptation or lest we embrace this lying mindset that our situation is so unique and therefore it's unfairly impossible, right? And that's what the devil wants us to believe sometimes too. He wants us to somehow buy into this lying mindset that only we have to deal with the pressures to do wrong and to perversely justify. Therefore, we're kind of almost entitled to do what's wrong in this situation or that situation or this situation. We're almost kind of entitled because no one else really knows it as hard as I do. My situation's unique. My temptation and struggle, I de- so it's almost like I deserve a special exception because it's just so hard for me. And God says, no, no, no. It's hard for everybody. It's just as hard for everybody. God's saying you can't claim that God would say that's a lie. That's not true. Don't make an excuse for yourself to stay defeated by sin when temptation ambushes you. Everyone in some particular way is facing the same degree of temptation to sin. It may not be in the exact same area of sin, but to the same degree, equally, everybody, it's common to all of us, are facing the same degree of struggle with temptation to sin. So don't let the devil deceive you in that self-pity or thinking that your life is unfair. God would say, stop lying to yourself. Don't make an excuse that you're entitled to continue to remain defeated by sin and start embracing the support of fellow believers to help you overcome in the battle because many other men and women have fought and are fighting the same battle that you are. And look, if that were not enough, what's more encouraging to know is Jesus himself understands temptation as a human being because when Jesus came in his earthly body and lived among us as a man for a time, he allowed himself to experience temptation to sin. And he overcame it perfectly and therefore wants to help us in the same way. Hebrews 4 says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 2 says the exact same. And as much as Jesus it says the children have partaken of flesh and blood. He himself shared in the same that is a human body. It then goes on to say for he, Jesus indeed does not give aid to angels, but to the seed of Abraham, that is to people. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are being tempted so see at the end of the day it is not even biblically accurate to say no one understands my struggle with temptation because if even if no other human being did understand there is one 
who lived as a human being who does understand, and that's Jesus. He wasn't tempted in all points, just as we are, but yet he overcame victoriously. Look, now that's tremendously encouraging because guess what that means? When you're facing that temptation, when I'm struggling with that temptation, the Lord can say to me, I know exactly what you're experiencing and I never gave into it. So I can help you and I can show you how to have victory over that because I already figured it out. I can show you how to overcome that because I overcame it every time it was a temptation in my earthly existence as well. And that's tremendously encouraging. Important to have a proper perspective on sin, right? That removes our excuses, but it's also wonderful to have the assurance of victory when it comes to battling temptation to sin. And that's why he says, look, no excuses, but he says, here's the good news that when you are overcome with temptation, look what he says, verse 13, he says, but God is faithful. That is God's dependable. God's reliable. He's committed to us, particularly to help in such times. He is faithful to stand together with us in the battle of temptation and supply to us supernatural power to overcome. And our ability to overcome temptation is indeed extremely limited in our human strength, right? Jesus said the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. And so in and of ourselves, the opportunity for me to have victory over resisting temptation, it's partly about my will and making the right decision. But let's just be candid. It's predominantly about God's faithfulness to me to give me supernatural power to overcome sin in a way that I just can't in my weakness and in my human nature. So my foremost dependency has to be upon God's faithfulness, and I have to believe. What God says is true. I have to believe, God, this is very challenging, but I believe the truth of your word more than I do my own feelings, more than I do my own thoughts or reasoning. God, I believe that you are stronger than any temptation. God, I believe that you are faithful to handle whatever I'm facing and supply me the power to be able to overcome it in victory. And God, I believe that your way is better than my way. So I'm going to take heed to your word and not my own human reasoning. And I'm going to live according to your way. And I am going to seek you and believe and receive from you by faith, your power to overcome sin, because you said that you would be faithful to me. First Peter one says that we are kept how by the power of God through faith kept by God's power. Jude 24 says that he is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before his throne. Again, I would encourage, if you are not familiar with Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, that you greatly acquaint yourself with those three chapters because they are doctrinal explanation in a very detailed way how sin does not have to have dominion over us. But because of what Christ has done, though it is a battle, that we can walk in victory and we can conquer rather than having sin control our lives, that we now have that opportunity through the power of Christ working in our lives. So God is faithful in other ways as well, because he says in verse 13 going on, God who is faithful will not allow you and I to be tempted, look, beyond what we are able. So God promises as a loving father that he's going to monitor my spiritual tests and my spiritual temptations and god not me god not you 
knows our limits. He knows what our limits are. He knows what we're truly able to handle and what we truly should be able to handle through him. And he faithfully makes sure that we're not pushed beyond that limit. And how encouraging to know that an all-wise and an all-loving father says, look, I'm not detached here. I'm fully aware of what you're experiencing. And I know exactly what your limits are. And he assures us he'll be faithful to be engaged so that the pressure does not overcome what we are personally able to bear up under with God's strength. So that poses the question, well, then why sometimes do I feel like I'm just not able to handle this? Well, the only answer I can give to that, because God is true and let every man be a liar, is when I feel like it's more than we're able to handle, sometimes that means I just must need more of God. That's the only answer. When it feels like I'm not able, what I really need is a deeper experience with God and God's power to strengthen me because God is faithful and says that with him, he will never let us be overcome. But more than that, how else is God faithful? To guide us in temptation. Because he says with the temptation, he also makes the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So again, that word way of escape there, that, that phrase, is a, in the language literally means a pathway to safely escape when you're under enemy attack. So the term, what was being used there to describe was how a leader in the midst of battle, when an enemy was attacking, how a leader would wisely and quickly guide a route of escape so that the people could elude harm that were under his leadership. And he says, this is what God does. God's reliable to always provide a way out, a way of escape before we enter into the doorway of sin. God shows us the exit ramp off the highway of temptation before we drive right into the brick wall of sin. God always makes that available to us. Somehow, God always gives clear warning when the attack is happening and indicates with the blinker light, danger here, harm here. I'm warning you here, this is temptation. You, I, this is not good. If you stay on this path, it's not gonna be good. And God is always faithful to warn us. But not only that, at some point in the experience, he always opens up and shows an escape route that we can take before we indulge sin. He always does. The word of God says that. And if I were to be honest and you were to be honest, when we look back in our lives, even the times when we don't take the way of escape and we fail and we enter into sin, we can always go, mm, yeah, I did see that. That, that. that was there. There was that opportunity to escape and to get off the exit ramp, which means what? That I'm responsible, you're responsible to make the choice to take the escape route. See, always remember this. With every temptation, there comes a moment, however brief, when the initiative becomes mine to decide whether I will walk in the spirit and overcome victory and take the way of escape and be practical and flee from sin, or whether I will choose instead to succumb and to walk and indulge the flesh and sin and suffer the consequence. And the choice is my responsibility. And God says, look, I'm doing this because I want you to bear up under this stuff. I want you to experience victory and not defeat. How wonderful to know that God wants us to be able to understand the truth that though we will be tempted, that we can overcome with his help, that sin doesn't have to have dominion over you. Hey, let me encourage you. Memorize this verse, know this verse, and use it in your spiritual arsenal as truth in the midst of spiritual warfare. 
to overcome when temptation comes into your life. Let's 